Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider. Nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I retired at the age of 41 to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this past fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record each week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Lacey Johnson lost her mother, her grandmother, and two aunts in one terrible tragedy when she was six years old. She shares the path of a child navigating grief, her anger at having been abandoned by the women in her life, and how she disavowed her femininity. It was as she became a mom that she unpacked all of her grief, layers of shame, old beliefs, and finally allowed herself to embrace what she calls her most divine assignment. Lacey is an award-winning editor, essayist, and journalist who earned her degree in media studies from Belmont University in 2011. She has worked with a broad range of celebrities and entrepreneurs, including fashion icon Betsy Johnson, spiritual guru Deepak Chopra, and Shark Tank's Damon John, just to name a few. She is founding editor of The Wonder Report, editor-in-chief for The Connect magazine, and her work can be read in a variety of print and digital media sources, including Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Woman's Day, Mirabella, Pop Sugar, and others. She is also deep in the process of co-authoring her first book, which is a gutsy exploration of the illusions of fame, power, and success told through narratives involving some of the people the world most idolizes. In this episode, Lacey encourages people to delve into radical honesty and leave behind the masks of perfection we put on in order to survive. She also shares that holding on to old beliefs blocks us from the things we truly want in life and argues for the deep work we all must do to free ourselves. She ends the episode by sharing her advice to her younger self and drops some serious gold nuggets. Let's dig in. I have on with me today, Lacey Johnson. I am so excited to have you with me. Thank you for joining my podcast today. Oh, the feeling is definitely mutual. It's such an honor. Oh, thank you. So Lacey and I met because she did a story um, or an article on me for The Wonder Report. And she, you have such a way with words. They're so beautiful, first and foremost, I have to tell you. I was just <laughs> thank you. gorgeous words that you put on a page and so much feeling and emotion. And it was an interview that it's, it, like I've never had before for an article. Typically, my interviews last about 20 minutes. And you and I were on the phone for, I think, over an hour. I, I could tell you exactly. It was an hour and 42 minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the thing that I loved about you and why I wanted to bring Lacey on the podcast is not only does she have this way with storytelling and this way with words, of course, because of what she does, but because of who she is. And um, our connection really had to do with, you know, we're, we're both – I'm raising a girl. You are having a little girl. Congratulations. 37 Thank weeks you. yesterday. So by the time this comes out, you're going to have uh, Adriana in your arms. Yes. And how excited are you? I am I am in awe. I am ecstatic. I am overwhelmed. I'm just 
completely entranced by this process. I, I can't wait, but I'm also really kind of sinking into my now these last you know few weeks of pregnancy. It's sure. just such an honorable assignment, I feel like. Oh, I love the way you put that. And I think the reason that I, I, I loved how deep our conversation went was because we have a similarity. We both became mothers almost very consciously. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to talk through that because I think it's such a beautiful thing, especially if there's any women out there in the world who are becoming mothers to girls and maybe didn't have that parent figure in mm-hmm. their life present. Um, and, you know, mine was because of, of unfortunate alcoholism and addiction. But Lacey, your story was, it just got me in the gut. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that you could share with our listeners Um, how this path to motherhood has been shaped by some of the tragedy that you've had to overcome with your own, um, with your, with your mom. I I would love to share and thank, thank you so much for, um, I would love to share. And and I so appreciate um, that you have even asked me to share. Um, I think it's so important too. I've learned through many of my struggles in my life that I think we have a responsibility to be really radically authentic and honest about our struggles, you know, not necessarily in like an oversharing way uh, or an obnoxious way. I know that that's not everyone is as open as I am, or maybe you, you are, right. <laughs> it's not their, their comfort level and that's totally okay. But I think in a world full of influence influencers, we've got to stop hiding behind um, masks of perfection Um and these amazing uh, appearances that encourage so much, you know, voyeurism <laughs> and it's, it's, it's nice and it's entertaining, but I think it's so important that we be, um, we, we, that we're really honest with our struggles. And that's why I think this podcast and just all of your efforts are so, so important and why I want, wanted to align myself with them. But, um, I actually, uh, when I was six years old, uh, I come from a very loving family, a very, um, a Southern, uh, you know, family rooted in, in, in faith, rooted in, in, um, strong religious ties and which that's a whole other subject mm. to, to explore. But, um, we had a, um, a family business, uh, we were very, very close and, um, we had a furniture store business and there was a gas leak and, and, um, there was a massive explosion. Um, seven people died, four of which were my family members, my, my mother, my paternal grandmother, and my two paternal aunts passed away. And um, so I lost not only my mom, but very, very key influential um, female figures in my life. You know, one of my aunts, I, mean, I stayed with her. She watched me um, a couple days a week. I was very close with my grandmother. And I was also, um, you know, navigating the fact that every single um, adult in my life was completely immersed and nearly drowning in grief. Mm. And interestingly, they were mostly men, you know, because the women had died. So um, that created beyond just losing my mother, which I think losing a mom or growing up without a key female figure is one of the greatest tragedies in a female's life. I believe that. Um, there were so many other nuances because um, I think that it created some dysfunction uh, in my, because it was such a formative period in my life, it created dysfunction in my perception of, of, of women. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think it sort of shaped my personality throughout the years and, and really in later years led to my, um, I believe, uh, infertility that, that I encountered in my 30s. I'm in my 30s now, but, but that, that I, once I reached my 30s and decided that I wanted to be a mother, um, I believe that, that a lot of these subconscious beliefs that I had about females and um, sort of even some resentment that I had toward my mother, um, you know, for, for leaving and growing up without that. I think that it, there were some, some shadow beliefs uh, that maybe I wasn't, I didn't have the mother chip, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. I think that's one of the things that scared me the most when I found out I was having a little girl. Can I be a mom to a little girl without having a strong female figure in my life? And I can't even imagine every woman that's available to you um, and I remember you sharing with me how the men it was almost like you had to kind of take on a different role for them because they were so immersed in their own grief can you talk to me a little bit about what at six years old you yeah. kind of became in order to to deal with all of the grief around you yeah of course I, I remember um you know I, I, well, I, for one, I felt like I had these heroes in my life all of a sudden and they were men. So I sort of, and then the women had left me. And when you're, when you're small like that, you know, you don't really have analytical skills. Mm-hmm. I was told my mom went to heaven, but I didn't know what that meant. And I would, I remember in the, in the weeks and year and months and years after I would always, if we would go anywhere out of the ordinary, like a mall that we didn't normally go to, or we would go to like a water park that was unfamiliar. I would look for my mom, which Mm -hmm. sounds so crazy to me, to me now, but, um, I was a very imaginative child as most children are. And, you know, I didn't understand exactly what had happened, but what I knew is that I had these men, um, that, that were taking care of me all of a sudden. And they were like heroes. They didn't leave me. They were still around. But I remember I sort of developed this part of my personality. I was always like an entertain. it's kind of a natural entertainer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wisecracking, just, I, I loved, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I loved being funny and entertaining people and making people laugh. But, but I learned uh, in the aftermath of that tragedy that um, I could, you know, break people out of their um, uh, grief and their crying um, by being funny or doing something really shocking or crazy or wild. Um so I think that was another thing that sort of uh, developed through that process is of, of kind of taking on um, this aggressive shock value type part of my personality that actually isn't very feminine. That's actually almost more of a masculine um, personality. And I think as that came, uh, as I went, as I moved through adolescence, you know, my dad remarried to an absolutely incredible woman who has been a mother figure to me. But, um, you know, it, it was really difficult. We had to find our way. We had to find our way. And she had, you know, she was navigating foreign territory. So she didn't she didn't come in as a disciplinarian. It was more like a friend mm-hmm. for a while. Um, but so my sole disciplinarian growing up was always my dad. And um, I remember thinking for years and years, and I know that we talked about this in our first conversation, uh, it, it's taken me actually getting pregnant to, to sort of break this thinking. It's really interesting. But I, I, for a very, very long time, I used to think that I sort of had a leg up on some other women because 
my thinking about relationships and life and career, they were different than most women because my most influential figure was my dad. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, that's more powerful to have this male influence. Um, I thought that 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 meant that I was more powerful. And I think that's so funny to me now uh, because in my process of of uh, getting becoming pregnant and learning that I have a girl, my God, I feel so unbelievably uh, like in celebration of my womanhood. This, this, one of the greatest gifts this pregnancy has given me is inviting me to step fully into my womanhood. I have more love, more awe, more respect for other women than I ever have in my life. Um, I feel like a divine being, just as I believe every female on the planet is. And uh, I no longer wish to be perceived as um, dominant or strong or not a feminist. Honestly, I I care less and less than ever before about how I am perceived. Mm -hmm. Um, It's infused me with this confidence in my body and my femininity and my emotional self. And I see my femininity as a gift and a treasure and like this like wildly sovereign force in the universe, not as a weakness anymore. I think that's so beautiful. Well, and I think, I mean, I had a very similar, we, we dug into this, right? I had a very similar mm-hmm. situation in that I divorced myself of my femininity for a very long time. I was in a male dominated career, patriarchal religion, didn't really have that big mother figure. So having a baby and then all of a sudden your, your body is, is this beautiful, you're creating life. I'm like, I, I'm making a human being and that's incredibly powerful. But it also, I'm curious, when you found out that you were having a girl, what was your first reaction? Oh my gosh, that night. <laughs> so my husband and I um, wanted to do a private gender reveal. Uh, we went to this restaurant in Los Angeles um, I had some work to do in LA and we, it was our anniversary. Um, and so we, we actually, we decided to do it privately. I really felt that it was a girl I knew, but I, I honestly didn't want to believe it. I, I wanted a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's so, that's so funny to me now because I'm so jazzed about having a girl. I cannot even tell you. It's hilarious to think about how I felt in that moment, but I was in the most, grumpy fog for the rest of the night. I was frozen in my fear. I was frozen for a variety of reasons. For one, I encountered, you know, beyond the, 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 the whole issue of, of having lost my mother, feeling like having just these layers of resentment toward a lot of women. Um, I, you know, my, I grew up in a very religious family, my maternal side of my family. There were a lot of, um, they're amazing people, but there were a lot of sexist messages growing Mm -hmm. up, particularly from church. Um, you know, I recall my grandmother so many times and still to this day being the last person to sit down at the dinner table and the first one to get up and clean and take care of everybody. I, she would always suppress her opinion saying, Oh, well, you know, I just need to, you know, support your grandfather. You know, he, I need to be the the submissive wife. Um, And I think that for so long, I thought that being female was very weak um, and I didn't want any part in that. There was just this whole notion of just constant servitude. And, and so, and there was a lot of, um, I, I, 
also encountered just a lot of like shame when my body's feeling a lot of shame when my body started developing, when I started growing breasts, mm. being preyed upon by older men uh, in high school, I experienced a, had a horrible experience with sexual harassment and I was villainized for speaking out about it. Um, so I think I had all of these really, really negative messages about being female was weak. It was less than it was, you know, you talked about females coming into life with a deficit. I really felt the weight of that. I felt, you know, um, a lot of layers of shame. And so when I thought about having a girl, number one, I, I had a fear that history was going to repeat itself and that I was going to die. Like my mother died on me. Mm. Um, I was afraid of, of, I wanted, I didn't want a child who was going to be weak and female to me was just this weakness. And honestly, I didn't even know that I, I didn't consciously know that I believed all of these things. I had to really explore and go, okay, why am I feeling this weirdness? But also I, I couldn't help but fear, um, that so many of the things that happened to me and the ways that I was harassed and preyed upon and, um, degraded were going to happen to my daughter. And so I'm like, I, I don't think I'm equipped for this. I don't know how I'm going to do life as raising a girl. How am I going to do this? And so I, I honestly panicked. I mean, my husband, I remember that night, just gra- he was grabbing me by the shoulders and he was like, we made a precious baby girl. L- Lacey, like you need to be in this moment. You need to, you know, th- we made a, a girl, a precious baby girl. That is an incredible thing. And he had to just, con- you know, I remember he just kept saying that and I just wasn't, um, I couldn't connect with it. And I remember lying awake that night and just being kind of depressed. Um, and it took, I'd say a few days a week. It's it, it, as I really explored, um, why I felt the way I did. And, and I think that's so important. Your work is so important. Doing the work, doing the journaling, doing the writing letters to your former self, exploring why you feel what you feel, exploring those shadow beliefs, those subconscious sort of things that are hissing at you, mm-hmm. exploring why you believe what you feel, why you're upset about this. Once you kind of pull them out and bring them to light, you see how silly many of them are. You see, you, you, you see, oh, wow, I don't need that belief anymore. And, and doing that, I was able to discard so many things. And I, in, 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 in that process started to feel so excited and powerful. And just, I have so much amazing anticipa- anticipation and just so much strength. I feel like I've, I've been drawing strength from my baby girl throughout my pregnancy. I feel strong. I feel I tell my husband, like, I feel like an Aphrodite. <laughs> you are. It's like a, it's like this beautiful, you know, I referred to it. I used to say I'm a mama lion. And then I just, I returned from Africa. And I'm like, oh, girl, I'm a lioness. I will take that feminine yes. side because those women are, those lady lions are no joke. And the way they tear, there's this protective force that kind of takes over you. Um, and, and creates an entirely different paradigm and, and person when you're responsible for a child. And I, I remember thinking and, and telling you, like, I can't wait for you to meet your daughter and just see how, for me, when I had Olivia, I, I wanted a girl. And when her, you know, her little face splashed across the screen, the, the 3D screen, and they said, do you want to know what it is? It's a girl. And I got tears because I saw her image and I said, I, I know her. 
I know. I love that story I, so much. I, I just had some kind of recognition of her. And I was just like, here we, here we are again. You know, we, I know you. And um, when she was born, I just was like, I am reconfiguring what I know about mother-daughter relationships in the, in the moment. So you, you have done a lot of work through your pregnancy. And I think mm-hmm. for me, it was, it was similar. I think there was some grieving during my pregnancy because I didn't have any, like, I, I was pregnant at the same time as one of my girlfriends and her mom came into town and like set up her nursery for her and talked to her about what, she, and I was just sad, you know, mm-hmm. I was sad because I didn't have another woman where I could be like, Hey, what do I do about this? And what's butt paste? <laughs> and what's, you know, I don't know why yes. I need these shield thingies. Like what are all these things? And, um, I remember her mom noticing and, and saying, Jeanette, I want to tell you that I'm sorry that you don't have someone. I, you know, do you want to oh, ask me any questions? Do you want me to come yeah. over? Do you want me to help? And I had, you know, I think, I think because we were pregnant at the same time and you could see the difference in, in the female tribe that came around her, they all kind of started to kind of head over. And I remember one day, one of them coming over and after Olivia was born and sitting in my nursery and talking to me through breastfeeding. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I, I thought it was just such a beautiful thing that these women were like, Hey, I see you. I'm going to, I'm going to step in here and I'm going to help you. So I kind of was adopted by a couple of women who didn't overstep in any way, shape or form. Um, and I think that was my biggest issue. And I want to ask you about that is, um, when I was younger and especially in my teen years, a lot of women around me in my church, cause I also grew up in, you know, heavily, uh, very high pressure religion. Yes. And same. a lot of women would want to take me under their wing, but do it in a way that was, um, they didn't know how to approach me because I had never been approached by a a woman in a way of, of, I had never been parented that way. Like my mom was, she wasn't capable of the same type of nurturing. And so they'd come in almost like they knew better and I would resent them. I didn't want a female. And I also thought women were weak um, because I had my dad and all of my uncles and um, I had, there was seven, six or seven boy cousins before I was born. So there's like all these boys in my family. And so it was kind of the same thing. So if any woman kind of reached out her hand to me when I was growing up, I was like, I don't, I don't need you and I don't want you. And I don't like that you're trying to do this. So I'm curious, like, how was it for you um, after your mother? And I'm so sad to understand, like from, as a child, like you're looking for heaven at a, a, a mall or a water park, right? And yeah. you're, mm-hmm. you're looking, you're mad at your mom for leaving you because she went to heaven. Why would she leave you? And it's just, we, we, sh- we share these stories with kids, hoping that we don't tell them about the tragedy, but in your own limited understanding, you're creating this entire belief about being rejected or abandoned. 100%. That's exactly what happened. And that's why that's, I'm so committed to my daughter. I'm going to be so raw with her. I, I, I'm going to encourage her to set boundaries with me, mm-hmm. to ask me questions. Um, I want us to have a very honest dialogue. I'm not going to have all of these forbidden subjects like I encountered, you know, as a child. Um, but I, I want to revisit, um, I want to touch on what you were just saying. I think that is so interesting how you sort of rejected that female um, nurturing, that extension of like nurturing, offering of nurturing. Um, I did the same thing. I will, this sort of um, can be woven back into my journey as well. I, uh, so my dad married an incredibly wonderful, wonderful woman who um, ended up giving me two brothers. My, my dad remarried a few years after my mom passed away. They had two boys. I'm very, very close to my brothers. I adore them. 
Um, for a very long time, and I didn't see it, my insecurities and my fear of abandonment just blinded me. But I, I rejected um, my stepmom in a lot of ways. Like I would kind of be, I thought that, I think I thought that grieving the absence of my mother and learning to love my new stepmom was, they were like, they were in competition with each other. They were mm-hmm. opponents. So I couldn't do, I couldn't do both. Um, and I also had trust issues with women. I didn't know that I had trust issues with women, but I did because I had been left by women. Um, I know that I realized that now I didn't know it at the time. I just knew that I was, it was just sort of like, Oh, get close to me. Oh, get, get away from me. Oh, get close. Oh no, don't get that close. Well, through this pregnancy, oddly enough, um, and I actually just, um, wrote an essay about this that's actually going to be published by a media source I can't mention just yet, but it will be out soon, um, I, that through this pregnancy, one of another beautiful gift has been um, the deepening of the, of the bond with my stepmother. And that has only happened because I have allowed myself to receive her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it, it's been so, she has been so wonderful to me. We actually did the nursery together. She has been every bit, um, the mother to me that my mother, I believe would have been had she not died. Um, and it has been such a healing a process for me, but it's also, I've realized so much about myself over the years, the ways that I rejected her love, uh, because I was afraid I was really fearful and I didn't know how to receive it. And, um, there's been so much healing that's taken place, but it's also allowed me to see how amazing women are, how our nurturing abilities are so incredible and they're so profound and healing Mm. and um, they cannot be reduced to a biological connection at all. You know, my stepmom did not carry me in her womb. We don't share any DNA. Um, She wasn't there when I took my first steps or said my first word, but she has mothered me so beautifully in this process. She has, I mean, even been uh, more alert to my prenatal appointments sometimes than I have been. She was waiting on pins and needles the moment I called her after my first sonogram. Um, and th- that has just really solidified several things for me. Um, number one, that family can't be reduced to a biological connection, but number two, um, that, uh, well, we have to receive, we have, we we want, you know, certain things, we want love, we want healing, we have to actually, um, we can't just go around saying, oh, we don't have, I want healing, like, this is a problem, this is going on in my life, I don't have this, we have to be open to receive it, to receive that, but also just the astounding nurturing um, abilities that women possess, even for, um, for, for other people who are not even there, so they didn't even birth. Have you and your stepmom ever talked about this? Have you ever had a conversation that was really super clear? You know what? Um, recently, I just I opened up to her and told her how much I appreciated. She got very emotional, um, and 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 I I I, I plan to go more more deep into um, sort of the ways that you know, kind of exploring. Um, our relationship growing up and, and sort of, I want to acknowledge all of the efforts that I know that she made over the years that maybe I didn't receive because I didn't know how to receive, Mm -hmm. but I would say we are absolutely closer than ever. She will be 
the grandmother she is 100% my daughter's grandmother she deserves it more than anyone in the world she's just an incredible human being I'm so blessed to have her in my life um uh I just she's amazing and but but yes I have I have talked to her about how our deepening of our bond and her mothering of me throughout this process has been an absolute unexpected treasure in this pregnancy. I cannot tell you it has healed my, you know, feminine self. Mm -hmm. It has inspired my feminine self. I mean, in so many ways. It's so beautiful. And then I, I wanted to ask you too, because through this whole process, right? So you're, you're kind of unwinding a lot of your old messaging and beliefs Mm -hmm. through this whole process. But, and I, I know that you touched on infertility. What layer did that unravel for you when you were going through the fertility process? So it's really interesting. My process of infertility, I, uh, I actually had an abortion years before, um, when I was younger. And, um, that was sort of a traumatic experience. I was in an, had an abusive relationship. Um, it was just a mess. And, and I didn't realize that at the time, but I always knew I wanted to be a mother, but I think I had mother issues. So there was this whole thing looming over my head of, but not yet, but not yet. Mm. I want to, I want to keep it off in the glittering someday, but not yet, but not yet. Cause I'm not ready. I'm not, you know, so I, I, I remember just even after I, I terminated a pregnancy very early, um, it was, I had a lot of issues with that. Um, and uh, I was in a very abusive relationship. And I remember my boyfriend at the time just saying, really encouraging me to terminate the pregnancy. But then when I did, I used it as ammunition mm-hmm. to further abuse me and was would say, oh, you just killed your dead mother's grandchild. Oh, and there God. were so many layers of just, oh, my God. You weren't so, healthy. It was not healthy. No. No, no. Um, so when then, you know, I got married and then I, I still wasn't ready. I delayed, you know, I wanted to delay motherhood a little bit longer. I wanted to do things in my career. I, I, um, so when I did decide that it was time, nature didn't seem to agree. And, um, that was really devastating. Um, but at the same time, I remember every time I would go to take a pregnancy test, I would have this something hissing in my mind. Well, it's not like you deserve it anyway, or it's not like you're equipped. I'm telling you every time. And I, I, you know, I know we all beat ourselves up. We all have this scary internal dialogue <laughs> that we would probably be horrified if it were given a megaphone. But um, I, I experienced a lot of that. There was just so many layers of not feeling worthy, not feeling capable, um, not um, so many layers of that. Uh, I did not, we, I did extensive fertility testing and we were always given great results that my fertility was really good uh, from everything that they could find. Uh, it was really a mystery. And, um, so we we went through a lot of that and, um, I'm sorry, my dog is, (laughs) he's got stuff to say. Oh my gosh. Um, so, um, there was, I was just navigating the process. I was trying to do, it was very frustrating because of course, you know, fertility doctors were like, we can try this. We can try this. And I'm like, it just didn't feel right to me. I felt like I was missing something. Um, I'm like, why I'm ovulating, you know, all I, my body's doing what it's supposed to do. There's, there's another component. There's something energetically going on. So I decided to explore, I started listening to some guided meditations, um, exploring my thinking, 
trying to open myself up to, um, you know, just figuring out what I, I could just feel that something was tugging at me to longing to be revealed. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I decided to, to start acupuncture treatments as well. And I remember sitting down with the acupuncturist and I, and I said, um, this is what's going on. This is my story. I really want to get pregnant. Um, but really I had, what's really funny is that I, I was having a lot of headaches and I'd never experienced headaches. So that's what actually took, drove me to the acupuncturist. But for some reason she was asking me about my life and I was like, Oh yeah. And I've been trying to get pregnant for almost four years and it's not happening. And she's like, well, would you like, I can probably help you with that. So, um, really interesting. The third acupuncture treatment, I was lying on the table and, um, I, it was very still, very quiet. Um, I would have these hour long sessions and I could see just like a little bit of light coming in from the crack of the door. Um, and I just got this feeling like I, I, that something was almost a feeling of like, as strange as it sounds, the angels of like forgiveness and redemption and hope were sort of like surrounding the table in a way, sort of beckoning me to take their hand. And, um, something just sort of asked me, you know, what, see if you can find a a chapel of grace within yourself. Um, and see if you can explore those those grounds and those walls and see see what see what's behind those doors. And so I did. Um, and I began. I went through this whole visualization, lying on the acupuncture table, where I could it just all of these things started being revealed to me, just crazy. It just like this lightning speed. I could see that, you know, I had had all these, you know, sadness about my mom, feeling so rejected by her and abandoned. I was angry. I was even angry that like. I, you know, I I realized in that moment that I was even angry that like, she hadn't even visited me in my dreams growing up. Mm. You know, if, if she loved me so much and she, if in death had caused us to be divided, why didn't she visit me in my dreams? Why, you know? Um, and then I realized I had all of that, even, you know, my delaying of motherhood is something that I wanted, but I didn't feel equipped for. I didn't feel that I deserved and then all of a sudden, it was like a part of me just posed this question to myself, can you do this? Are you ready for this? Can you, do you deserve? And I just remember just cold tears, just in the silence, in the dark room, just falling in droves down my face. And I said, I, I just whispered into the air, just, yes, I do, I do, I do. And um, I am not kidding you, three weeks later, I was standing in my bathroom, screaming my husband's name, holding a positive pregnancy test in my hand. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yes. I have I'm like tears you. in my eyes as you're talking. Yeah. I'm like, oh. I promise. I promise. So, you know, it was a natural conception. Um, and that's, I think that's so important to talk about too, because some, some, there are issues where IVF is, it, it's, it's so necessary. And I, I, I would have gone that route. Absolutely. I think I didn't feel emotionally, um, where I was, I didn't feel emotionally, um, agile and strong enough to, to, you know, face that expense and then be rejected. I, I think that it was, that was something that I had thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, something just told me that, no, this is, there is something 
in your mindset or something energetically that you need to address. This is not about, you know, ovulation or I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I Um, think that's one of the most beautiful. So I, I was recently asked about like, you know, what do you do if there are things that you want in life and you just can't get them, right? You just, you've vision boarded, you've prayed, you've written it down in your journal, you've, what do you do when you can't get the things? And I was like, you get really quiet. Because there's oh, yeah. something in you, oh yeah, that you got to figure out. And if you're being, if if it's that you're not ready for it, you need to figure out why. And if it's you're being redirected, maybe you're you're heading to something bigger. But if you want something so bad and it's not coming to you, if you're the common denominator, and you have to get to a place where you're willing to be broken open about it. And I just think that that's the most important part. And I've I I can totally I could see it as you were talking through it, and realizing sometimes we have to pull that stuff out of us before we can get to that next level, that thing that we want so deeply. Um, we have to really dig into what we believe about it and ourselves. Man, you, it's, you, you it's not sometimes all the time. I think, um, here's the thing we can, we can, we can write out the most beautiful affirmations, put them on a big, shiny, colorful vision board. I think that all has merit. I've done that. I've had success with that. We can, um, you know, write out our truth statements. We can um, seek a higher power for for forgiveness and grace and uh, and help assistance. Um, however, if the what we're asking for does not align with what we believe about ourselves, mm-hmm. those beliefs can act as very very tightly locked guarded gates around the things that we want, and we will never anchor them. We will never. I mean. I was never going to get pregnant if with, with this, this energy of let me try to, you know, let me try to get pregnant. Let me go take a pregnancy test. It's going to be negative because I don't deserve it. It's going to be negative because, well, I mean, I don't really have the mother chip anyway. It's going to be negative because, you know, I'm probably going to die if I, you know, I'm probably going to have a daughter and I'm probably going to die. Seriously. These are all it sounds bananas. It sounds, no. if, if, if our shadow, if our shadow thoughts were given a megaphone, we would all think that everyone on this planet was freaking insane. Right? <laughs> That's <laughs> right? so funny. We would all be institutionalized just, just, but you know, I think we need to talk about this stuff. I agree. I agree. Don't you? Yeah. So like, I, I remember Mastin Kip doing a, a workshop and he was like, tell me like, what, what are your fear blocks? What are the things? And like, you get right done to it and you talk about the primal fear I'm gonna die this thing's I'm gonna die like mm-hmm. I mean, we, yes. we make things so incredibly huge because we've assigned meanings to small and I think that's one of the other things too like I look at my daughter and I'm a very conscious parent because I'm like I gotta pull out all the old stuff I believe because if I start answering her questions with the things I was told and the religious beliefs of my background which I'm sure you can understand totally I'm going to create similar messaging that she's gonna have to unwind in therapy later and I actually just listened to this uh, comedian this morning he was hilarious and he was talking about how he's like you know at some point in time your kids are gonna be in therapy blaming you so just go ahead and like own it right (laughs) and so there are times when you know I'll have a conversation with her and I'm like I need you to understand that you have to create your own beliefs right so she'll be like is this right or wrong is there a god is there this um there was a question about abortion because she was going to a catholic school at one period of time and there was a sign that she read about abortion and she would ask me these questions and i said here's the deal 
Catholicism is a religion. Baptist is a religion. Jehovah's Witness is a religion. Mormonism is a religion. These are all religions, right? They're all Mm -hmm. based on beliefs, but they're beliefs that have been kind of created or packaged or put together and then handed to you, almost as if it's in a wrapper. Mm -hmm. You have to decide if you want to to believe all of the things in the wrapper and that it's okay if you don't. And you have to figure out if your belief is in your head or your heart. So a lot of times she'll come to me and ask me a question before I'll, I'll start heading in a direction. I'll say, well, what is your, what does your heart say? She says, my heart tells me that doesn't make sense. Or my heart tells me, she was really funny when she came home one day. She goes, I don't think I want to be Catholic. Mass is weird. <laughs> I was like, I love, I her. love you. I, right? I, I, yeah, she's awesome. You're, you are definitely raising an empowered girl. I actually was put in time out and in trouble for raising my hand and being like, you know, that Bible verse contradicts the other. That doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was like, rebel. I was like the bane of my parents' existence because, mm-hmm. you know, my mom was an alcoholic addict. My dad was very faithful in, in the religion. And I would be like, but how do we know? And he's like, oh, my God. I was really, really frustrating. And I think it's probably one of the things that made me so creative and open to other ideas. And it was funny because I was in Florida visiting him recently with my daughter um, it was actually about a year ago when we were walking down the street and she says, um, Grandpa, don't step on the crack. You'll break your grandmother's back. And he said, well, Olivia, I don't think it matters. My grandma is, you know, grandma passed away. And she goes, well, she could be on to her next life. And she's a baby, so it's not nice to break babies' backs either. <laughs> and he just looked at me and I'm like, I give her options. Love her. <laughs> like, I love her. I'm like, hear what people believe, which one resonates with you. And you could believe it now and not believe it later. And she's like, all right. Um, so it's just so unconventional from what how I was raised. And I'm, I'm curious, like, have you and your husband had these conversations about Adriana and, like, how you want her to to be raised consciously versus a belief system versus, like, what's your, what's your take? It is a topic of conversation almost nightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am really, I'm really strict about not – I, 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 from, from the minute I saw that or heard that gorgeous galloping heartbeat, I knew that this assignment was not about me telling her who she's going to be. You know, I'm really strict about, I'm not going to tell her what she has to believe. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to force her to play soccer or play piano or be a writer like mom, you know, um, I want, to, uh, I want, I want her to have total freedom in exploring her story, writing her own story. Um, I mean, I think some, you can be too, um, too free in your parenting. I I understand that. And I, I'm, I'm really, um, going to be very conscious about that and and navigating that. And that's this, you know, there's going to be a learning curve and I know that, but my gosh, I think the, the, the most, um, the worst thing that you could ever do to a child is to not um, allow them to be who they are. Mm -hmm. And I felt, I felt extremely um, uh, suppressed growing up. Uh, I felt um, forced into, you know, believing certain things with, with the best of intentions, by the way. Um, I had extremely loving family, Um, wonderful family, but, but I, I was, you know, with the best of intentions, there were some very inappropriate things done and said that really affected my self-esteem that really caused a lot of confusion. Um, you know, my maternal side of my family, they really were very charismatic, um, 
you know, Pentecostals. And I remember being a little girl and, you know, being kind of asked like, why aren't you raising your hands in the worship? I always felt like I had to perform. Um, and I had to just do things that didn't feel natural to me. Um, and there was so much fear, about going to hell and fear about, um, I was very terrified of God. I thought God was just this freaking scary entity ready to just come down with a thundering clatter and just destroy me. If I said a bad word, you know, um, I never want my daughter. I never want to create that narrative for her. Um, I never want to create that internal dialogue for her. So yes, we have those conversations all of the time and they will never stop. Um, as we, as we find our way through the way that we will, you know, parent her. I love it. Uh, Speaking of children, um, one of the things I want to know is Mm -hmm. looking back over the course of your, your childhood, looking back over how everything kind of shaped up in tragedy, triumph, tear, whatever, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh my gosh, this could take like 10 hours. um, (laughs) I was a hot mess in so many ways. I was a very like strong-willed hot mess though, um, I will say. I I had a lot of good qualities, but I had a lot of dysfunctional ones as well. Um, You know what? I think in so much, if I look back at my childhood, um, I I had so, so, you know, such a fear of abandonment. I had, I think I really had a broken heart as a little girl. My heart was perpetually broken, um, as a child. And, and I just wanted to be loved and accepted and never left again. Um, and, and so I think I was allowed myself a lot, uh, to even through up into, through my twenties to be defined by others. And I think my, one of my biggest um, pieces of advice. One of them would be, you know, you are not defined by anyone's perception of you or anyone's, you know, declaration over your life, not your church, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your peers or your boyfriend or anyone on television. The only person who is capable of defining who you are is you. Um, that would be one of the biggest things. Uh, Um, I would say another one is uh, you don't owe anybody anything, especially not if it means betraying yourself in the process. You don't owe anybody your beauty. You don't owe anybody your sexuality, your your time, um, your unrelenting forgiveness or pardoning of inappropriate behaviors. Um, You don't owe anyone the defiance of your um, personal boundaries. I would say to myself, um, your body is not shameful, does not belong to anyone else. It's certainly not a playground for anyone to touch or talk about or, um, or use for pleasure or make a trophy of. Um, I think I spent so much time placing all of my value on pleasing others and making and wanting them to be impressed by me and, and, and loving me. That I, and I used to screw myself over in an, in an effort to make other people happy because I thought that if I made other people happy or think that I was awesome, then I would never have to worry about not being loved. Mm. It's, it's I had um, someone recently on the podcast refer to it as shaving parts of yourself off. Mm-hmm, I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way. And of I was just it. like, that's a great visual because I think every time you you give up a piece of yourself or your body. Right. And that's a, a huge message for young girls, because I don't know. I think I feel like there's been an entire generation of women who now realize how much of our body 
we gave to others in spirit and in physicality in order to feel as if we were ta- we were appeasing, right? Yes. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that like I really want the next generation to be aware of is you never have to shave off pieces of yourself to make someone else happy. How do they make you feel? And um, I have to tell you, I had a conversation with Olivia recently where she was talking about a little boy she liked. And she's like, he's really cute, mom, but his personality is really annoying. And I'm like, I need you to keep that, right? I need you to keep that when you start liking the really hot boys. And you remember that his personality is annoying and that he said something mean to you and not ignore it because he's cute. And she's like, yeah. So I think that that's a a beautiful message. I'm curious as far as as your your wisdom and inspiration. And you've shared so much today that's so beautiful. And I I know it's going to be helpful to women or anyone who's lost a parent or dealt with grief. Um, or has children that they're they're navigating that experience now. Um, what would you share with my listeners uh, regarding your nuggets of wisdom and inspiration? What do you want to leave behind? Yeah, I would just say, that, you know, in terms of really rad- getting radically, radically honest with yourself um, is, is just the foundation to, to healing, whether it's whether you're navigating um, – you know, my gosh, you, you know, old messages from childhood, whether you experienced trauma in childhood or you lost a parent or you never had, you never felt loved by your mother or you've never felt like you've been able to, um, you know, form close friendships or you're, you're going through infertility or an excruciating divorce or someone you trusted and, and loved so much um, betrayed that trust and that love. Um, or if you feel like you've spent your whole life screwing yourself over and giving your body to people who didn't deserve it. Um, I think the first thing for me is, uh, taking your mask off and getting really, really honest with yourself. I think I spent so much time thinking that I was this brutally honest person, but I, I so wasn't, I ran from myself. I hid from myself Mm -hmm. because, um, I thought that, uh, that I wasn't lovable if I wasn't perfect. Um, it was just such a scary thing to, to, um, really explore and face a lot of, of the dysfunction and chaos that I was creating for myself. So I would say my biggest piece of, of, um, advice, uh, that has completely transformed my life is just getting so radically honest, um, and, and, and loving yourself, um, because of your mistakes, mm-hmm. um, loving yourself because of your, um, your, your shame stories and your, um, your tragedies and your, uh, your dysfunctions, loving yourself because of them, not in spite of them. Oh, I was just thinking that exact, I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is good. Yes. Yeah. You stuck that landing girl. Um, I think with, I think it's so beautiful, right? Because I, we are our own worst enemy so many times just because mm-hmm. of the things that we believe about ourselves, And um, one of the things I've shared with, um, I, I recently did a workshop with a group of women who are in recovery, which to me was so beautiful because I was like, I would, it, it just, I had all these women who are, have experienced addiction and alcoholism and are like in the room ready to do the work. And it was the most hungry group of women I've ever talked to. And one of the things we talked about was that radical honesty and knowing the shadow side of yourself and befriending mm-hmm. your shadows. Yes. And I told them, I said, I'm going to tell you what my shadows are, and I'm going to speak them out loud. I can be a martyr, 
And if I'm not a martyr, uh, and that includes passive aggressiveness, and I recognize it, and I've learned how to be like, I'm turn- I'm doing that right now, and how long does it take me from the moment I start doing it to the moment I'm realizing it and call myself out on it, and not hating myself or belittling myself, but being like, I am so proud that I recognize that I was doing that. And secondly, I recognize also that if, I, if I'm not careful, I move into anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, but how many people will stand up in front of a room of people and say, I'm going to tell you about my shadow? Be willing to share who your shadow is. Be willing yes. to call That's it out. That's bravery, man. That is, that is radical bravery. That is boss level bravery. Well, I feel like you have to do it, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna level up and bring p- the people around you up with you, you have to kind of look at each other and be like, I'm not going to use my tools of manipulation, martyrdom, and passive aggressive behavior to to get you to do what I want. I'm gonna tell you, I realize I'm doing this, and I'm gonna speak honestly. And I, and it was funny because I told them, I said, when you speak to people from the heart, you are not to speak to them from a place of guilting them. You are not to speak with manipulation. You are, and they were writing it down, and I was like, because I recognize that there are some. There are some behaviors, right, that you take on where you learn how to get people to do what you want them to do. And I think you have to get to a place in your life where you're like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to I'm going to call out what it is because you also have the tools and the boundaries in place where they can't take advantage of that. Right? Yes. And yeah. you've, you've escorted the people that would out of your life. It's just it's 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 owning who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, some of that is just owning the story of who you have been and knowing that you, that's not who you have to be anymore. Um, but you have to own the truth of what you've created in your life thus far. Um, all of it. I mean, I, I came, I, that was, this for me has been really stepping into this mantra of I own who I am, all of me, all of me boldly, unapologetically, lovingly, um, humbly, uh, and, and it's, I've really, it's, I have a much deeper love for myself, um, that, that I am so raw. Uh, I was never, I never even gave myself the, the possibility of loving myself. Thus, I never gave anyone else the possibility of really loving me when I was hiding behind masks all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's so important too. It's like, you have to get to the place where, you're like, I'm broken open here. I am building myself up. Right. And mm-hmm. I just think it's such a beautiful thing. And I think you are so beautiful and I oh, love you your are. words. Like you're just, <laughs> it's really great when you, you know, you're talking to another writer, right? Because I feel the same way about you. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just like, you have a way with language and creating pictures with your words. And I just, I'm so appreciative. And I know that the people who are listening to this podcast, feel your soul and your spirit and your heart. And I just want to tell you, thank you for being so radically vulnerable and open um, because it's just so inspirational and I'm just so appreciative of you. Well, thank you for championing so much incredible content um, into the world. And um, thank you for existing. Thank you for all of your efforts too. And, and for inviting me and so many other women. Um, just, I couldn't thank you enough. I admire you so much. You're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love Lacey full stop. Baby Adriana is a lucky girl. I am so appreciative of how she unravels her process and gives us a look at what it is like to be a child who has lost a parent and how the ways in which we relate to children dealing with grief may not be serving them. You can find Lacey on Instagram at the Lacey Johnson. 
Lacey and I talk about going deep into the work to uncover your messaging, which is the cardinal point of my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future. Get into the work with me. Lore is available now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.jeanetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you want some help moving toward that intentional life, join me every week on my intention journey. I'm inviting you totally free from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my love notes at JeanetteSchneider.com, and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention-setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. Intentional living is where it's at, y'all. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.